For 25 years, Danko Jones has kept rock and roll alive and strong. Over the course of 10 studio albums from 2001's I'm Alive and on Fire to 2021's upcoming Power Trio, the sound has remained solid. He's continued to push boundaries and consistently rocked. On this special episode of the Sonic Collective, we chat with band founder Danko Jones about the history of the band, look to the future, and learn what he loves about music. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me is... Darren Scott from Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, Darren. So we're pretty excited, you know, through the pandemic, what, almost a year now, we've started talking to people like Alan Cross, Sam Roberts, Will. I'm excited to talk to Danko. And I'm wondering, when did you first learn of or hear Danko Jones? Yeah, I think uh, when I first stumbled across him, and uh, you're stuck over there in Thailand, so you're not getting uh, the all the Canadian content. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, you know, he's played quite regularly on the radio here. But I think it was the uh, "Full of Regret" uh, from his "Below the Belt" album that came out in uh, 2010. Okay, uh, that was the first one that I remember really hearing on the uh, radio, and that's a that's a great song. Um, and then I realized that actually, when you kind of hear that and you catch and you find out who it is, and then I realized I've been hearing other a few of his other songs uh, earlier in his discography. As, as mentioned, this is his 10th studio album, which is uh, cool. Um, but I also saw him uh, a, a few years later, uh, just four years ago, in the Sate Gateway he played in 2017. And uh, uh, just such a great live performer just caught me. I love like the intimate small clubs. And yeah. when somebody puts on a really great energetic show, like if you just want to go and, you know, just have fun and party rock, like this is the guy. So that was kind of it for me. I guess, what, what do you remember? about uh, I think it was around 2011, somewhere thereabouts. And you know, I don't know how I came upon the tune, I think Bad Thoughts, but it must have been off Apple Music or something like that. Had no idea who he was. And I just thought, wow, like the lyrics, like about fighting, drinking, screw your girl in the back of a Cadillac. I just thought, wow, this guy's a serious rocker. I didn't even know where he was from. And I just kind of fell in love with it. I, that whole album, Below the Belt, I, I was just rocking out to it, mountain biking in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, I think. And it really reminded me of what I love about ACDC is just music that's made seemingly to just bop your head to, to pound your fist in the air, to not think about changing the world, but just there's those times I just want some rock and roll. And that's what he delivers time and time again. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Scott. There's a lot to be said about artists like Danko Jones who just kind of deliver that driving punk-infused rock goodness. Uh, some bands get criticized for similar-sounding songs, uh, but uh, what is missed in the criticisms is it, it takes a lot of talent to Ooh. actually uh, put these songs together and that they do keep sounding like party. People think, ah, oh, it's easy. They just they just keep putting out awesome party music. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to make songs that people love back-to-back-to-back? To back to back? Mm. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it's just fun he's super fun and and great live and that's how that band started and he's known for that that in the beginning apparently he didn't even want to sign with a label he just wanted to be the band that everybody knew through their live performances so uh interesting yeah interesting i can't wait to talk to him it's uh i'm excited yeah i'd love to see him in concert i can't wait for that day but he's also i've just noticed Puts out a ton of material and a lot of bands in their later years, it becomes three and four years between albums. He's been cranking one out every two years, sort of the last good number of years. So, I mean, they put out a lot of material. I can't wait for the new album. And why don't we bring him in? Yeah, let's bring him in. Our guest is one of Canada's premier rockers and has been doing it consistently for a long time. In fact, 2021 marks the 25th anniversary of the band 
Danko Jones. The man himself joins us online from Toronto. Thanks for making time for us, Danko. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Yeah, well, let's be transparent. We're both fans. And I got to the Danko Jones party a little bit late because I think it's because I live in Thailand. In about 2011, I somehow came across Below the Belt. I was knocked out and I've been banging my head to your stuff ever since. But before we get too far into things, kind of want to start at the beginning. Where were you born in Canada? Toronto. They didn't move too far away from where I was born. I was born on, uh, in Toronto and I've pretty much lived here all my life. Wow, so you just stayed put and, and you're still living in Toronto now. Cool. Yeah, where did the name Dan- Danko Jones come from? That's another interesting question I haven't found the answer for. It's my name. I mean, it's just how it is. Looking back through the videos over the years, I really enjoyed your lecture about KISS at 2012's Wacken Festival. I mean, what role does KISS play in the sound of Danko Jones? Actually, very little. I, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit, it's hard for me to copy kiss riffs it's really i don't know why i find it very difficult we've done it a few times where they've you know kiss songs have influenced our songs directly in a very obvious way but those are few and far between compared to the amount of times i kind of drop them name drop them as an influence and talk about them our influences musically are more taken from you know thin lizzy the misfits and motorhead and acdc than and the Ramones than than Kiss, you know. Um, maybe that has to do with the fact that there were multiple songwriters and different singers and different si- sounds and shades of their music that I think of people from from afar don't really don't really understand, but fans do kind of thing. Or but their influence is more less musical and uh, more conceptual. And one question I always like, because, hey, we're all Canadian, and uh, I've always been a big supporter of Canadian bands. I guess, what were the Canadian bands you were listening to as you came up and influenced you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, I, I don't want to say Rush, because it's such a go-to answer, but it, <laughs> it's true. I mean, we, we as you guys know, uh, especially me growing up in Toronto, it, it kind of, it's everywhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I listen, I was listening to Rush, and I... I came of the age listening to music a lot and became a music fan around the time of uh, subdivisions, that kind of era where they were moving towards, Mm -hmm. uh, what was it, signals, I mean, sorry, signals, where they were moving towards uh, more keyboard stuff. And I had grown up hearing about this band Rush my whole life. And when I finally heard them, I'm like, I don't understand. There's no heavy guitars on here. You kind of, you know, but then moving pictures, you always heard those songs. And Rush Rush are always in the background. But growing up, you know, I I was a metal kid. So I'd have to say Voivod and Sacrifice and Annihilator. Bands like Chilliwack, you know, like kind of deeper bands that, that I think only Canadians would know. Toronto, Chilliwack, yeah. Headpins, Triumph, Santers. Geez, I'm probably missing a whole bunch of other, you know, Saga, you know, those kinds of bands we were almost forced to listen to and forced to like because of CanCon regulations that I think actually benefited us as Canadian rock fans in the end because we will always be able to access American rock music, but they will never be able to easily access the Canadian rock bands that I think were were on par yeah. with the with American rock bands of the time. So you put anything up against you know the first few Headpins albums and it's uh, it's amazing. Like Darby Mills is an incredible singer who should be on the world stage level as all the other American known rock singers. You know, and Lee Aaron and yeah, lovely Aaron, nice. 
She was my first crush, I think. I think she was everybody's <laughs> in music. I mean, <laughs> I, I had the pleasure of meeting her for the first time a few years back at a festival in Europe. And everybody in our camp was making fun of me because <laughs> they actually, JC, our bass player, was taking video of me, taking video of her playing on stage. <laughs> so it was quite funny. Oh yeah, uh, but she was re she's really nice. She's such a nice person, and that's that goes a long way after you've you know been listening and and watching her videos for your whole life. You know, so it's nice to know that there's a nice person at the end of it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm from PEI. I remember seeing her in Summerside, Prince Edward Island, in 1989. Like just loving her. Um, and just just quickly, I guess, and and now uh, Canadian bands now. Who are you listening to? That's uh, Canadian, just to kind of give our brothers and sisters a plug. Mount Cyanide is a band that just put out a seven song EP during the pandemic because they had it ready and, you know, labels weren't putting out anything. So they just decided to release it themselves. It's Nick Sewell, who is in Biblical and the Illuminati. That's his new kind of uh, death and black metal mixed with an indie rock ear or an indie rock aesthetic. And it's really amazing. I think it's amazing. I, I can't praise it enough. And then there's a tr Toronto band called the OBGMs, which is a great kind of like a, I want to say they're a kind of like a, a no wave inspired band, whether they know it or not, but I believe they are a no wave type sounding band that opened for us a few few shows two three years ago and they just put out a new album which escapes me right now but it's getting a lot of attention outside of ontario which is great for them and i think they ju they just ah, they got some sort of american or or uk recognition recently so that's good for them those are the two that pop up but to be honest with you uh i haven't really publicized this a lot but i haven't been listening to a lot of music during the pandemic well thinking about your music i mean from what I've observed, it's unapologetically about women drinking, fast cars, fighting. Was that theme intentional or did it just sort of happen and evolve with you? Oh, okay. So no drinking because I'm not a big drinker. I, I've never drunk a lot. I mean, I'm not straight edge. I was a long, for a long time I was, but I'm not straight edge. I'll have a glass of wine with a meal, but I'm always first to bed on tour because as a singer, uh, what a lot of people don't know is singers are the should be the first to bed. They're the ones who need the most rest because that's the way their voice snaps back for the next show the next day. Unless you've got a day off in between or two days off, and that's that. Those tours only happen if you are an arena-sized band and you have one or two days off in between shows. But if you're like the rest of mm -hmm. us at the B level, we got to play every day or else we don't make any money. Uh, because touring is a very expensive. So I'm first to bed, never really took part in a lot of the post-show hijinks. And I always hear about it the next day. And I always like to hear mm -hmm. about it. But I'm never jealous that I didn't partake either. So it works out for me. But other themes, women and uh, revenge, I think, is prevalent in our songs. And it's just reflective of what's happening with me at the time. So if there's a song about revenge... Uh, it's not about an, a woman. It's about a per, a guy who's either done personally done the band wrong in one way or another. Every song is about one or two people I can actually name, whether they know it or not. And the revenge songs are usually are always about like me wanting to destroy them is about a guy. The heartbreak songs are definitely about you know lost love and and stuff like that. But the the revenge songs are about some asshole who did our band wrong. 
Interesting. And uh, you, you have a really big following in Europe and obviously tour there quite extensively. I, I guess I'd just be interested to know, like, how did a Canadian band out of Toronto really kind of catch on in Europe and be well, so Well, first of all, we're good. That? So so we're a good band. <laughs> you are good. I, that's the one thing when, when people ask that, I'm like, well, we're good. That's why it caught on. But the way we got there was through, there is a band in Toronto called Trigger Happy. And they were on a, they were on a Swedish label called Bad Taste Records. And so the singer gave a copy of our CDs to the, the head of Bad Taste Records, and they wanted to put our album out. However, when they offered us the deal, a lot of, not a lot of people don't know this, but when they offered us the deal, Epitaph in Europe, and this is back in 1999, 2000, they were interested in putting our album out. Now, how they found out, I don't know either, but but they wanted to put our album out. And Epitaph Europe was different than Epitaph America. Epitaph Europe, as you know, you probably know, Epitaph is known for Bad Religion and Pennywise and a lot of, you know, that kind of sounding bands, which are great. I, I like a lot of Epitaph bands. But Epitaph Europe had a lot of hard rock bands on their label. Like, Nash I think Nashville Pussy put something out. And there's a couple of other bands that were more hard rock oriented that we felt more affiliated with. And that was so cool. Whereas Bad Taste was, at the time, a pop punk label. They had Satanic Surfers and a couple of other kind of, kind of pop punk bands. So we didn't really, we turned them down. And then when Epitaph fell through, we went back <laughs> asking if they would put out our album and they did. And so they brought us over in May, June of 2001 for our first European tour. And before that tour was over, we had secured a second tour. So we were, we, before we came home, we knew we were going back because yeah, nice. it was kind of pointless for us to do this tour, I thought, and not know if we were ever going to do this again. Like, what's the point if there's no follow up to this? We're, we're, that was very good. And before we even finished the tour, we, had secured a booking a European booking agent. We were on a compilation with all our favorite rock bands that was coming out called How We Rock. That was going to come out. And like I said, we had booked a second tour. We're still with the booking agent. We're still with Bad Taste. They're now our management. They're not our record label. They've become our management. And we have toured more than two times since then. So it worked out great. So we're pretty loyal. Like, I mean, we have this reputation of going through drummers and we've been through seven drummers and people think oh that's an indication that you guys are hard to deal with but the truth of the matter is behind the scenes we've been with the same management who were our record label who were also doubled as sometimes our tour crew our merch guys they uh we've been with the same booking agent for 20 years we had uh there's been some crew members that have been with us for almost 20 years so behind the scenes it really stays the same, yeah, but you can't, that doesn't, that's not what everybody sees, you know, so. Yeah, and Rich has been with you now for quite a few years now. Yeah, he's been with us for, this is going to be the eighth year. Yeah. yeah. And he's from so. PEI too, so. Oh I, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, I'm from PEI and Scott lived there before as well. Well, right, he's. Go PEI. He's actually living in <laughs> PEI right now, so he's in PEI. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, I'd like to go back and visit, but they won't let me in. 
Cool. Well, you mentioned uh, headpins earlier, and you know, I've been listening to the official Tanko Jones podcast the last little while, and I enjoyed the Darby Mills episode, and then I really enjoyed your rerun of the Henry Rollins one oh. from the very early days <laughs> yeah. of podcasting. It's great that you shared it, but I kind of wonder, like, you've been into podcasting for a, a long time. You got in on the early days. Like, what really led you to, to fire up a podcast? Well, I mean, I actually did a podcast in 2005. I didn't know what a podcast was. It was our webmaster at the time who urged me to do this thing called podcasts. And I didn't know the, the the medium hadn't really been figured out yet. It was just a term. And he said, you just talk. And then I post it on the internet. And so the only <laughs> thing I knew what to talk about at the time were what we were doing on the road. So I, it was just like road reports. And they were about maybe less than 10 minutes long. And I actually found a couple recently that I might use I might re-up in, in an actual episode to show that, yeah, I was doing this in 2005. But I officially started in 2011. And that's why my podcast is called The Official Danko Jones Podcast, because of this earlier 2005 podcast that's mm, still floating right. around in the internet somewhere. I have to figure out how to delete it all. But until I do, that's why there's a distinction and there's like The Official Danko Jones Podcast. So I started in 2011. And I've uh, been pretty much doing it consistently since then, except till uh, December of last year, I thought I was just taking a break for Christmas and I'm still on hiatus. I'm, I'm not doing it. Yeah, it's been the longest break. And I thought I was going to do it in April. And now I don't know if I'll do it in May either. Um, there's just too much going on. And uh, as you know, we've behind the scenes, we've had to move this conversation we're having right now a couple of times. And that's all due to all that. So so I, I have no time to do a podcast right now. <laughs> well, 249 episodes is a pretty good run. So cool. yeah, I enjoy yeah it. but Thanks. I do have the guests lined up. So it is coming back. I mean, I have four guests. One of them, I keep saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to push this next month. Yeah, so I have them all I know who I'm going to talk to, but cool. when it happens, I don't know. Uh, you also have an interesting recent release, uh, Throat Funeral. You mentioned on the webpage for it, if you like the Beach Boys, you'll hate this, which is hilarious. I guess, uh, what prompted that project? Uh, uh, boredom and a desire to jump in the noise game. Like, I like, I really enjoy, you know, I'm in this rock band and it's great. I love rock music, but let's be honest, it's on a, it's very um, predictable. And that's something that I languish in. I am proud of that. I think it's there's an art form to mm -hmm. uh, the predictability and working within the confines of a three chord format. You know, there's an art form to the mm -hmm. to 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 why there's an art to why the Ramones every song sounds the same. ACDC, Mortarhead, Slayer. There's an art form in there that I find that's very difficult and uh, to keep duplicating. So I, 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 as much as it feels sometimes very confined, I derive pleasure out of that. And that's the challenge that keeps me interested in continuing to do hard rock music. But there is a side of me that has been bugging me for years that I, I, I'd like to do something that's, uh, I don't want to do another hard rock band. I want to do something that's just completely off the grid or, or left, not even left field, like just not even in the field. So the experimental noise genre, I've, I've always kept my ear open to, and I wanted to do it. So I started doing these tracks, you know, bored out of my mind on tour 
or at home, I'd finish it up. And um, I asked Tanya Tagak, who you guys probably know as the Polaris Prize. She's a throat singer. Yeah. She's incredible. Mm -hmm. And we became friends on the internet a few years ago. And then I just asked her five years ago if she would sing off this track that I had. Jorgen Monkby from the band Shining from Norway put saxophone on it. And I got Tad Doyle from the band Tad to, to do vocals on it as well. And then I had nine other tracks of me just making noise with my mouth. I had it sitting around. And then we did the George Strombo show at his house that he has this thing where he brings in bands and they, they film it or they use it for his radio show and whatever. We did an interview and he goes, uh, he goes, there's a rumor going around that you have a noise album with Tanya Tagak. And the only reason why he asked me that is we have a, we have a mutual friend and that mutual friend I've told, he's like the only, there's only three other people I've told outside of our band about this project. So I knew where he got this information from because it's very, very widely listened. He kind of pushed me, that pushed me to release the album because it was done. And it was just sitting on my laptop for a couple of years. It's a five-year-old album. And I just put it out in September for three months, and then I took it down. I might post it up again when I put the second full-length Throat Funeral album out, which is half done already. And uh, I want to get it out in July, if not July, maybe October. We listened to the two songs online, and the project's name has a really interesting name that's similar to a Van Halen album, OU812, except yours is OU812112. What's, what's that about? Oh, it's what you, you you pronounce it. Oh, you ate one twenty one twelve. I yeah, I totally didn't catch that. I, I got I got a couple of people who said, well, it sounds like uh the Mister Mr. Bungle put out a demo called Oh, you ate one nine, and I was like, well, okay, and and Patton put out a noise album as well, and I'm aware of both, but I didn't do it to copy Mister Bungle. I did it because when I came up with Oh, you ate one twenty one twelve, it made me laugh out loud, and that's the reason why I put it. <laughs> I used it. But other than that, that's the only that's the only uh, thing that kind of lines up with Mr. Bungle. But yeah, it's called OU812112. I took I took it down, but I I put up a single on Christmas Eve and it's free to download. It's just a single, two covers. One is um Cherished by Cool and the Gang and the other one is Maybe from the Annie musical. I did two covers of those songs and so you can hear those as well. And there's another single coming out from Throat Funeral in the next few weeks. I will be re-upping the OU812112 album and the new album that's coming out in three to six months. Sweet. Awesome. You have your 11th album, Power Trio, coming out August 27th with two singles already out, I Want Out and Flaunt It. Could you maybe just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. It's, a, it's actually our 10th studio album. We have like three other compilation albums of, of um, material that were taken from B-sides and comp albums and stuff like that, or unreleased stuff. There's three separate albums, and then there's um, there's 10 studio albums. So this is, a, this is like the 13th album of standalone original material. We recorded it in September, October of last year, when new cases in Ontario were hovering a, a little over 100 or below 200. Health guidelines were a little looser than they are now. And there was five of us in the studio at the most at one 
one time. And as people did their tracks, you know, it got slimmer and slimmer. But it was five. There was the uh, producer, Eric Ratz. There's the three of us and the assistant engineer, Chris Snow. Um, so that was it. The studio is big enough to keep social distance as well. How we wrote it was a part. Never did that before. That was crazy. So JC was really the one who kind of pushed everyone to, to, to do this album. He was like, we got to put it up. We got to put out an album. I was in lockdown and I didn't want to see anybody. And I was basically, how are we going to do this? We can't be in the space. We can't be in a rehearsal space, which is how we write albums. So very, very trepidatiously and skeptically, we started to send files over to one another. We had five ideas already that we had written before the pandemic in our rehearsal space that ended up on the album. That's only half an album. And even five ideas, those aren't finished songs. So we had to do this apart in isolation, lockdown, separated from each other. And so the first song we did was a song called Blue Jean Denim Jumpsuit. And it was a, it was a riff that I had come up with uh, while in lockdown. So I didn't really, we'd never jam this out. And we added guitar, bass, vocals. But it was when Rich put his drums on the track, it was incredible. I, I, we were all like really, really impressed. I, I, I thought, oh my God, we can actually do this. We can actually write this because this song sounds wicked. And, you know, it, it is one of my favorite songs on the album. But, but uh, it was that song I credit as to really giving us the confidence to actually write an album in lockdown separated from each other, which we did. And we rehearsed it leading up to the recording. We had to rehearse it together as a band. JC went into our space and he put partitions up and there's two rooms. So he was in the second room and Rich and I were in the main room separated by this, like, I don't know what it was. It was like a kind of a drapey. My guitar world is closest to our door. So I would be the last to show up to the space. They would already be waiting for me. And I would, we would not see each other while we practiced. We would just talk to one another. I could hear their voices in between the songs. And that's how we arranged it. That's how we talked it over. And that's how we did the, uh, the rehearsals for the album. Kind of hearing voices in the room. It was weird. But it worked because the album is very, I stand behind it 100%. It's amazing how we, I can't believe we did it like this, but it showed us that if this pandemic goes on for another three years, we can do another album like this. Yeah, that's an interesting way to adapt. I've always admired trios because it just seems so hard to pull off great music as a trio. Everyone's got to be super tight. And then, I mean, it's right in the name of the next album. Did you ever consider adding a fourth member or is it just you always wanted to be a trio? In the first couple of years, we thought about adding a fourth member. And that fourth member was uh, my best friend in high school. And he can play guitar as good as Jimmy Page. But it didn't work out. And in the end, it's better for us because there's just less cooks in the kitchen and you can really get to things quicker in a three-piece and things move quicker, you know, behind the scenes with a three-piece. The more members you add, because we're all on equal footing, it just gets to be a little bit much, you know. You can have a 10-piece funk band, but really there's only going to be like two or three people who are going to make the decisions in that band. Let's be honest. So that's what why we've always been a, a three-piece. 
Well, and you do it really, really super Ray. well. Uh, we can't wait to hear Power Trio coming out in just a few uh, months. So a ton of thanks for making time for us, Danko Jones. It's an honor to chat with you. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, of course, I know you will. Keep on rocking. You too, guys. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks again to Danko Jones. Man, that was a great chat. Um, lots of energy with Danko Jones, just like his live performances. Uh, he's just super fun and he was really engaging and it was great to talk to him. Uh, for me, I think a pull out a highlight was um, I'm a big fan of Canadian music and supporting local Canadian artists. And when I asked about his influences uh, that were Canadian bands, got some really great answers. Of course, Rush was in there, but like he expanded on that a bit uh, and then also talked about the bands that he likes now that are Canadian and oh man he just banged out a few I was couldn't I'll have to go back and listen and write them down and we'll put them in the show notes so people can listen but to me that was great he just gave some really insightful answers there uh for you Scott what were your highlights of talking to Danko quite a number of things you know I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the guy doesn't really drink or party um, when I asked him the question about the themes of the songs I think he was thinking I was asking about him himself and he mentioned that he's the first guy to bed and you got to take care your voice i like too when he said you're i think a, like a b-level band or something so i mean he's very present about you know where they fit in and in the scale of bands but man he's he's a workhorse he's got his hands in a ton of pots you know the throat music thing 249 episodes of a podcast not drinking he's super focused you know i also really liked that he just mentioned how hard it is to consistently deliver consistent sound right at the beginning i mentioned that he's kind of my like acdc go-to i i think of him very similarly because his music is about drinking fighting fast cars women i know it's going to deliver a certain thing but he had a good point he obviously knows that's what he delivers and he said it's it's difficult to be consistent with sound so i have a really high degree of respect for being able to cultivate that consistency at a high level Yes, uh, Danko, what a great interview. Uh, there's, as mentioned, lots of links to check out. Please go to thesoniccollective.com on our show notes page. They'll always have extra content there besides our podcast that you're listening to now. We hope you enjoyed it. It's He's so engaging. It was so fun. Uh, so Scott, I guess, uh, why don't you, uh, take us out? Yeah. You know, those links, there's tons of neat stuff we have there. We have links to his kiss lecture that he gave. I believe that was in Germany or Poland or something. Um, a clip from bring on the mountain, which we didn't even get to talk to his Instagram his YouTube on and on. And then of course, get pumped up. This is the 25th year of the Danko Jones band. Uh, he mentioned they've gone through seven drummers, kind of spinal tap ish but he said the rest of the people like have been with them for 20 years management and crew uh august 27th power trio comes out so get ready to turn it up to 11 and rock out with danko jones then so thanks for listening we'll be back sometime soon with something hopefully as cool or cooler than this thanks everybody <laughs>